0: Hello, and welcome to the GamesIndustry.biz podcast. I'm Hayden Taylor, and this week I am joined by just one
1: person. Say hello, Brendan. Hello, everyone. I am Brendan Sinclair. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes, the, the GI team has been has been scattered thanks to a, a slew of our holidays and illnesses, but that leaves us, uh, you know, I, I think between the two of us, we're more than equipped to talk about uh, the news that is kind of defined this week, which would be... What everyone's been talking about which is of course loot boxes uh here in the uk a uh, nine month long parliamentary inquiry into the immersive and addictive technologies has finally published its report and among its recommendations are that loot boxes should be regulated under the gambling act and their sale be banned to children uh i feel like this has been a long time coming and obviously there's a lot of other stuff in the report but i i feel like the regulating it under the gambling act as a recommendation for the uk government is without a doubt the headline here so what are your thoughts on this
1: brendan this feels um significant to me sort of possibly a turning point in the uh in the whole debate over over loot boxes uh just because we've uh, like on the on the surface, all, a lot of regulatory commissions and the ESA is quick to point this out. Have looked at the situation and said, um, "Yeah, they, they don't they don't fall into our definition of gambling." Like they may look at it and kind of go, "That's yeah, no, I see why you're complaining about this, but no, that that's that's not gambling. You can't cash out, so it's not the same." Um, but that doesn't that doesn't necessarily mean it's harmless or something that shouldn't be. You know regulated self-regulated um curbed given some sort of protections around
0: of course the, the thing with the esa comments because they released their statement uh, last night or yesterday um and yeah they said gambling regulators all around the world have said that loot boxes aren't gambling but that that stance kind of misunderstands what the purpose of a regulator is a regulator interprets and enforces the law and like the key distinction we've got here with this report is they are recommending essentially a change to the law. So the ESA's stance, those two things just don't really compare in the way that the ESA is using.
1: Them. Yeah, like the the UK regulator might have said previously, this doesn't fit our our legal definition of gambling, <laughs> but we've just got a a you know some some traction here uh, in in Parliament now to maybe change that that definition or or institute new laws yeah. that, that would affect this.
0: Yeah, and this this inquiry, like I said, it's been going on for about 9 months. They've taken evidence from across the games industry, from academics, from influencers, from developers, from trade associations. They've they've been pretty thorough and, you know, I've I've watched I think I think every single one of the inquiries as they've been happening live and the way I've seen it is that this has been an opportunity for the games industry to say look we understand that that games cause a lot of concern to people who are perhaps a little bit misinformed uh you don't actually have anything to worry about here is what the situation is and also i think more importantly own up to any any problems the games industry might be facing with how it monetizes with how uh the relationship people might have uh with with sort of perhaps excessive gaming and to own up to those problems and say here are sort of Viable solutions that we could put forward and work together, but we haven't seen that. What we've seen a lot of, and this is how uh, the, I mean, the the inquiry or the report described uh, a lot of uh, sort of representatives from the games industry as being willfully obtuse. You know, and if you watch these inquiries you see the MPs putting questions to them and there is a lot of avoidance There's a lot of deflection a lot of kind of hiding behind the line that well This is commercially sensitive data and we can't share it So I feel like the games industry got a fair shake to to prove that there weren't any problems Or that it was aware of the problems and it was really focusing on them And I just don't feel like it it really made the most of that opportunity
1: Yeah, and it's it's kind of It's been really frustrating uh to watch from from the outside the way they the games industry industry's really just dug in its heels uh, on this um from day one it's been less it's been less about like, okay, well, you have some legitimate concerns here. let's work with you and you know develop a a responsible way to address those concerns without curbing the business and it's been much more like we have parental spending controls. You don't need anything else. We've done this. You know, we are beyond reproach here. So take a hike. And that attitude (laughs) doesn't, doesn't really play that well with, with um, legislators. I don't think.
0: Yeah. You know, the, the legislators, they were, they were going in, well, sorry, the MPs, they were, they were going in looking for answers, trying to gain a real picture and understanding of what the games industry is like and its problems. And, they spoke with academics as well who I think one of the most telling things from academics was like there isn't actually a huge body of evidence and we're struggling to put together really comprehensive studies because gaming companies they have all of this data and they don't let us look at it. Um, I think the one, one academic said that game companies have a flashlight while they're scrabbling around in the dark with a match effectively, just meaning that they're just not a, they just don't have access to everything they need to kind of conduct the studies to paint a really full uh, picture of the actual problems.
1: Yeah. And that, that's actually that gets into um sort of Tiga's response to this. And and I think it's it's really interesting to contrast the the responses from the various trade groups. Um so the the mm-hmm. report came out and then Tiga's response was basically like yes. Absolutely, We agree a hundred percent that we need more research about this and let's get that going right away. And then they were like, well, we're not, we're not so sure about having to like tax the industry in order to pay for that <laughs> research. But you know, it, it was, it was trying to be productive. You know, it was acknowledging that there is a concern there and then saying, let's address that. And we like this part of your solution. And then Peggy uh, Peggy's statement was basically like, "Okay, this is a this is a lot to digest. We're gonna look this over, and we're gonna we're gonna figure out our response to this. But you know, we we definitely want to keep you know the the trust of of, of parents and the government and everything. Like, this is a serious deal, and mm. we need to to take some time to digest this. Which again, totally valid response. And then the ESA's response." um was less diplomatic i'll say
0: <laughs> yeah certainly it was very much a well you say it's a problem but we say it's not so
1: meh. yeah it was um I, they basically said that they strongly disagree with the findings of the report they repeated their their point that you know we We have um, the parental controls. These regulatory bodies have said it's not gambling. And uh, as demonstrated by the recent announcement of policies regarding the disclosure of the relative rarity, you know, loop box odds, basically, um, they didn't really mention that 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 disclosure was like, this just happened last month, that they finally got Mm -hmm. Nintendo, Microsoft, and Sony to say, yes, we're going to mandate loop box odds disclosure. By no later than the end of twenty twenty. <laughs> and this is this has been an issue for years in the industry. It has been two years since the ESRB had to like finally say, like, okay, yeah, we don't think this is gambling, so we're not gonna you know. And and the the, the most action that they took on this before was in early twenty eighteen. They were like, We'll put an in-game purchases sticker on physical games that have these is that good enough for you oh also we'll have a we'll have a <laughs> website that tells you all about all the parental controls and how to how to apply them but this website doesn't mention uh, mobile devices really like there's a an mm. off-site link to a Google Play thing that says hey here's how you do it on on Android devices and there's no mention of iPad or iOS iPhone stuff at all which is just bizarre oh also of course pc storefronts don't mandate the odds disclosures valve won't even talk to us about that so like there's there's pretty significant parts of the industry here that aren't even on board your weak sauce end of 2020 commitment
0: (laughs) and uh have we spoken before on the podcast as well about how that that commitment to disclose loot box odds is i mean it's not a particularly strong policy uh, you know people know the chances of winning the lottery but that doesn't stop them from playing people know the chances of you know playing roulette or, or whatever sort of gambling it might be but that doesn't stop you from engaging in it because the the thrill of it is still there and there there yeah. is a certain a certain illicit thrill to opening loot boxes and seeing seeing what prizes
1: are in there there's also the issue of like you have a better idea what the odds are with you know, the lottery or a roulette wheel than you do with these loot boxes, because the way that they categorize these things is they don't tell you the odds of an individual item that you might be wanting. They just say, what is that? Is that a super rare item? Okay. Well that's less than 1%. And, and that's, you know, that's the difference between getting bumped up to first class for free on a flight or getting struck (laughs) by lightning three times in an hour. Those are both less than one percent chance gonna happen, but you know, I, I think there's a a huge ocean of, of probability difference there that, that is not really covered by this. And even if, you know, th- those odds don't necessarily dissuade everyone from from engaging with loot boxes, I, I think the least you can do is is tell them more exactly what the odds are for each thing that they might be going for.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think as well, I also wanted to bring it back quickly to uh, the levy, which you mentioned earlier, because I think this is a really interesting uh, part, of, part of this report and something to come out of it. So uh, for those who haven't been keeping up with it, part of the uh, findings from the report, one of the suggestions was an industry levy to help pay for research into uh, gaming disorder effectively, or the, they referred to it as problems with long term, sorry, the problems with the effect of long term gaming. Uh, so interpret that how you will. But I think the levy is a very interesting one. It seems a little bit more divisive. Uh, There are concerns about impartiality, I suppose, but the, the inquiry did stress that any research they did that was funded with the levy would have to remain impartial. So it's not like EA is standing there saying, hey, we're going to give you some money to research loot boxes for us here's the result we're looking for it's very much you know the government going into the pockets of these companies taking a little bit out and then passing it on to academics but i'm just wondering what your thoughts are on the levy brendan do you think it's a step in the right direction do you think it's something the industry will go for at all
1: i don't think the industry is going to be all that eager to go for it um i I I'm not I'm not like solid on this uh, on my my position on on that idea here. I mean just because like I think I think if if you do put this this tax on on the game makers I, it just gets passed on to the consumers anyways. Um and and that's you know like that might be not great but like it, this research should get done. Uh, i I would like it to be right. done you know in in a method that convinces me like yes, this is independent um and yeah like i'm not I'm not strongly opposed to it for sure I think there's a way to do this where uh where the the publishers are actually like contributing to the research to find out whether or not what their actions are doing is is you know really harmful.
0: Especially when you have, you know, the, the, the stance from a lot of game companies is that, you know, there isn't, the gaming disorder perhaps isn't a problem or it is perhaps an overstated problem. And I think there is an argument that, you know, if that is your stance and everyone is saying, if they're, they're, you know, the World Health Organization is saying to you, no, it is a problem, here is, here is what we think about it. Then, perhaps maybe the games industry should be like, "Okay, well, we will prove to you that it's not a problem. We will commission funding that is impartial, and we are confident that there is nothing to be worried about so let's actually take some initiative with this and invest in some funding and demonstrate that it's it it is perhaps more it is perhaps an overblown concern or, or whatever it is that it might
1: actually be see i think I think that actually is something that the industry might be. Even more reluctant to do, um, just because like with with the loop box thing, I could conceive of um, you know research that finds you know what it's it's not actually that significantly it's not a causal factor for for problem gambling or it's it's not as as sketchy as it might appear on on first glance but with with the gaming disorder one like the industry already acknowledges that there are people out there that that game excessively and they have serious problems with this and the question now is just like how how many people how big a problem is that And then it kind of becomes like an issue of, okay, well, what's an acceptable number of lives for you to destroy with, you know, your, your, your endless treadmill games as a service Skinner boxes. Um, what's an acceptable number of lives to destroy like that? And that's a really difficult thing to answer. I mean, if it's just, if it's just, you know, one dude in Wyoming, we'll call him Gary it's like uh, are we gonna are we gonna hamstring the entire industry because of gary Mm, i I don't know but you still have to at some point say like yeah okay so this is deeply harmful to some people and we we shouldn't just be like it's not right to just write those people off entirely right someone's got to think of gary
0: someone does have to think of gary it's also interesting though. It, it, i suppose it depends depends how what you mean by hamstring the industry though and and what sort of implementations might be put in place if gaming disorder if there is extensive research done into gaming disorder and it is found that it's perhaps a worse problem than we thought or not a, not so much a bigger problem than you think
1: yeah the ham hamstring the industry is is maybe a bit dramatic but uh, like there's it's 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 difficult also with the loop box thing to like come up with okay what are the effective ways that we can address the concerns um, without without either completely just being way too broad in what we're disallowing or being so narrow that it's really easy for people to say oh okay well we'll we'll tweak this one thing minorly and then we've just gotten around your 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 rules.
0: And the thing with loot boxes as well is that I don't think many people would say that all loot boxes are universally bad or universally share similarities to gambling. Like, I believe there, there are ways to implement loot boxes that are less pernicious. But when you see, especially with some of the recent ones like NBA 2K20, they really lean into the gambling aesthetic and the feel of gambling like I say, like that illicit feeling you get when the the dial spins and you get that fantastic prize or whatever it is you're after. And again, it's kind of the games industry because it's been so closeted in its approach to dealing with dealing with the inquiry and has used a lot of sort of smoke and mirrors to try and deflect away from the problem. It's left us in this position where. Loot boxes are now seen as just universally bad, and there is no gray here anymore. It's you know, the NBA 2K20 is now just as bad as Overwatch, um, or just as bad as something more innocuous. Um, and I think, I think that's the real problem. is... It, you know, loot boxes, I don't think, are, are inherently bad or inherently related to gambling. But it's often the way in which they are pushed, some of the psychological tricks that are used to draw you in, make you spend more than you wanted to. That's where the line starts getting really
1: blurred. And each one of those those tricks might be completely defensible in and of itself. It's like, oh, okay, well, you just unwrapped a, a rare card in your FIVA Ultimate team pack. So we're going to have a bunch of streamers and a big fanfare come in but like when you when you combine that with everything else about the process it it just sort of like becomes this this one gross mess of it's like yeah this is this is not cool when it's all together um i i think one thing that would i would be fine with is just if you can uh separate the monetization of the game from the loot box mechanic And that's in a lot of ways what, you know, where the loot box mechanic kinda came from, right? How many every enemy that you kill in Diablo is basically a loot box, right? You might have something great, might not have something great. But because you don't have to like spend money for each one that you open, it's super cool and super engaging and people really love it. Now it's it's you know, there are people those some of those excessive gamers that we've talked about might have played way too much Diablo, so that's another issue. Um, but I, I, I think my big problem with loot boxes, the, the, the longer that we just sort of stew in this, in this debate is that, um, and I know you didn't really want to use this word necessarily, but it's, it's obfuscation on both ends of the deal. Like you don't, because you're using these these virtual currency systems and there are so many different kinds of premium currencies inside these games they there are several layers removed from you know the the $5 that you put down for your virtual currency gems or whatever and and what you're actually spending and and because so much of what you buy is like oh here if you if you pay this much we'll give you 300 extra gems with that or you're going to you're going to buy this you know weekly pass thing that also gives you this this grouping of of benefits so it's really difficult to tease out exactly how much you're spending and what like the the dollar to fake gem currency or dollar to loot box conversion rate is so you don't know what you're you don't know what you're spending on it but then also since it's a loot box you don't know what you're getting out of it and if we're talking about being you know just basic fairness to customers when you're not telling them what they're spending and you're not telling them what they're getting that seems like a really loaded transaction in favor of the people selling the stuff and that is just because some consumers will go ahead and do that. That does not make it acceptable.
0: Hmm. And you mentioned their virtual currency as well. I think part one of the problems of virtual currency is not so much the separation or um, between you know its value and its real world value, although that obviously is a problem. I think one of the things that makes virtual currency slightly more pernicious is that say you buy 500 gems, a loot box is 400 gems. And so, okay, so you've still got a few gems left over, which might be fun, until you realize that you have these gems left over and you've paid for them and they're just sat there and then you're not doing anything with them. So why don't you just buy a few more gems and then you can spend those ones that you've got there? And I think that's the loop that you get into. I think anyone who's played a live service game you know, I used to play a lot of League of Legends, and I fell into that trap quite a lot. I was like, oh, I've got like 400 Riot Points, and I only need 200 more, so yeah, I'll, I'll buy an extra 500 in order to get this skin. And the cycle just kind of repeats itself. So when you combine that with, like you say, the 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 separation between the value in-game and, and the real-world value, and then you combine it again with the randomised nature of loot boxes, it just becomes this completely, well, it becomes this very alluring And at the same time, impenetrable loop that you just get stuck in.
1: Yeah, that was um, when the Xbox 360 came out and people took their first steps into this whole Mm. digital distribution thing. I think Microsoft was selling their Microsoft points in like 500-point bundles, but the price points for things were mostly 400 points or 800 points. Mm. And it's, it became, like, I'm not, I'm not sitting here trying to legislate hot dogs versus hot dog buns, and how many we sell? It. <laughs> but but this is still just like it's one tactic that, when combined with all the other tactics we see used, it just it crosses that threshold for me. And everyone's going to draw that threshold at a at a different place. It crosses that threshold from being just sort of like clever uh, or smart business to being like nuts. Nah, it's you're actually taking advantage of, of people and you probably shouldn't well you shouldn't do that first and if you're going to keep doing that regardless of other people saying like eh, you shouldn't be doing this then maybe you shouldn't be allowed to do that <laughs> that's the thing it, it feels like you know game
0: companies have effectively ruthlessly optimized the entire process so like you say these things taking in isolation perhaps aren't so bad but a game company will look at that and be like, well, we can improve this over here, and this over here, and this over here, and tweak that, and then all of a sudden you have this very intricate system that is designed to squeeze as much as it can out of its players, and it just pulls from all of these different areas. It's like, um, you know, people often use Pokemon cards or, or Kinder Eggs as a comparison, because, you know, it's something that is, it's a, it's a randomized thing that you pay for, and you don't know what it is. But it's I've said before like it's it's a real false equivalence because that kinder egg on its own or that pack of Pokemon cards is not combined with data harvesting and separating your money into sort of virtual currencies or actively pushing it into your social channels or in in the game itself um, or giving you sort of free, uh kind of free samples to then get you to try a little bit more it's like the kinder egg on its own the randomized mechanic on its own is not necessarily completely bad they can't they
1: can't combine it with everything else the pokemon cards you get based on what you already have, what they think you want, what style you play. They can't say, this guy's bought a lot, so we're going to match him against an opponent that is particularly vulnerable to the way that he plays. And that'll encourage him to keep buying more. Which is something, I think it was Activision patented? So someone, someone you know, these publishers are already trying to like patent their techniques for, for putting a thumb on the scales here and and it's it, it's the 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 massive amount of tracking and analytics that companies can do has turned it much more from like that that guesswork of the first dude to put ten hot dog buns and eight hot dogs in packs and and, and now they know now they can they can see very clearly how each tactic works and. And that that certainty has only kind of, you know, allowed them to to build increasingly complex, increasingly compelling, increasingly effective ways of separating players from their money. And I mean, that's, you know, that's kind of like what a business is supposed to do. It's what it exists for. But somewhere along the line, you got to you know, you got to say like, this this is a bit much.
0: Yeah, you do. You certainly have to draw a line somewhere, and and that that one you mentioned there, that that Activision one, that's not the only one, uh, the only sort of patent that is like that. There are ones that uh, change the um, change the drop rates of certain items in loot boxes depending on what you already have. There are ones that uh, change the prices depending on how much you spend and things like that. So. There are a lot of patents which, although it's not clear how many of these are actively being used in games currently, it does just demonstrate kind of that further desire to just, again, ruthlessly optimize what it's doing. Because, you know, they have all these things that work, like, great, how can we make this more effective? Which, you know, you have to kind of admire the the, the efficiency of it, but then when it comes at a, a human cost, there is. That's when you have to start asking questions and drawing lines, and that's what this this inquiry has been all about. It's been looking at what's what's been happening over the last few years and asking questions like, "What is actually going on here, and do we need to be worried about it?" And it turns out the answer they came up with was a lot of really shady stuff has been going on here, and yes, we do need to worry about it.
1: And this is, I think, sort of the the biggest. Um, the biggest problem for the industry here is is that the way they have handled this loot box thing i think has been incredibly damaging to their credibility um they i don't think that they will be viewed as you know socially responsible entities that are you know before it was like oh well they're encouraging stem and they are uh you know they are they are injecting our you know our cities with with all kinds of great new jobs and they are having a really positive effect on on our world and it's it's a lot more like um you know the way the way people view tobacco companies or or you know liquor companies or something like that it's 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 or gambling. Uh, outfits (laughs) it's 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 a group of people that are sort of uh engaged in some some sketchy behavior and the the industry's refusal uh to to engage with any of these concerns on what i would call a good faith level uh the, the just the way that they have dug in their heels and not conceded anything i think has has done a lot to to undermine some certainly my basic faith in in people in the industry to sort of do the right thing um and and i I think that carries through and when when lawmakers and parents and the general population are are looking at your industry um as one without that credibility they're going to be a lot less inclined to be careful about the way they, you know, the way they they put restrictions on your business.
0: Absolutely, and I think the damage has already started to happen as well um, in terms of the, the industry's reputation. Uh, Damian Collins, who was the chair of the inquiry when he was speaking to the BBC the other day, um, shortly after the report came out, he was speaking. He was using these very very broad terms to describe games, and he spoke as though. These, these problems that we're talking about are universal in all games. And this is what games are. All games are these online service-based experiences that are very, very heavily monetized in a very aggressive way. And that's because that's the perception that the industry has been unable to adequately destroy by, like you say, by not engaging in a, a good faith argument. You see it a lot in the responses that uh, sort of industry representatives, whether that's companies or trade associations use. They use a lot of false equivalents. They say, well, you know, it's it's not really the same. You know, it's different because of this. And it's like, well, you you really have to look at the differences and the similarities. You know, you can't define it by just how it's different or just how it's the same. Um, you know, it is it is a complex gray issue with a lot of different different factors. And I thought the Yuki statement in particular was quite telling because, uh they didn't even mention loot boxes in their statement. They said that you know they were taking it with, considering it. Um, sorry, said they they were concerned about what had been said, and they were they were going to look into it and you know continue doing their good work. And it was a very sort of safe, vanilla statement that you expect from you know a, an organisation in that position. But to just completely ignore the fact that this committee has said loot boxes should be regulated under gambling this is a real problem to just not even mention that in the statement shows i think that they don't have a legitimately solid defense to put out there and all of their other defenses or false equivalences or deflections or whatever else they've been using have failed and they're still not going to admit to it but they also don't have any solid ground to stand on when defending their position yeah there's
1: not much of a plan b either i don't think (laughs) yeah there really isn't and one of the one of the other concerns i have is that when when these companies lose this credibility um with lawmakers and parents and everyone else it opens the door for a lot more like in the u.s um senator josh haley uh introduced legislation And it's, you know, seen as, like, oh, it's a ban on loot boxes. But it also includes Mm -hmm. any kind of, like, Candy Crush pay-to-speed-up-a-timer mechanic. Mm -hmm. And, like, that's not what people have been fighting over, I I think. That's not Mm -hmm. what the discussion has mostly been around. But we're at the point now where people that play Candy Crush, uh, which is going to be, you know... A lot of that mainstream audience look at this they play it they get frustrated by it they hate when they spend money on it and they're already just like oh that's lame so then a, a law comes out and says like hey we want to get rid of that they're they're going to look at that and they're mm. going to say like hmm i don't like that thing sure it's it, it's not about you know is is that an exploitive predatory mechanic i think that there's a lot a lot less um you know, discussion about that these days, a uh, a lot more, like I'm, I'm more open to the speeding up timer mechanics and, and, and all that. But, but like you've, you've just by, by digging in your heels, you've invited this legislation. The legislation is overreaching in, in what it wants to cover. Now there aren't going to be a whole lot of people coming to to your defense, you know, to, to split hairs because of that. And, and we've got, we're not too far removed from a big fight over violence in video games the the supreme court in in 2011 uh you know ruled in the industry's favor on on that but uh since then we've had a bunch of school shootings um a complete upheaval of of the american political system uh politicians in power looking to to put the blame on video games rather than uh restrict the gun industry at all and like that that supreme court decision i think is not as solid as it probably seemed at the time uh, I wouldn't I wouldn't trust that the the argument over violence in video games is completely settled in the United States, given everything that we've seen happen in the last few years. and And when we've I, I mean Mortal Kombat has been, you know pushing the envelope on on game violence a lot further than it did in the mid-90s when it first kind of became a poster child for this sort of stuff. And we've got Mortal Kombat developers now getting PTSD from, from working on it. Um, like, that's that's all kind of creating an atmosphere, I think, where the industry is is has not been operating responsibly it has lost credibility and it is inviting a reopening of all these discussions of things that could seriously hurt it i mean if you if you look at some of the other stuff some of the other big trends and headlines that you see around the industry and it's about you know abusive workplaces and just horrible treatment of developers mass layoffs like this is this is not a you know cozy, friendly, happy-go-lucky picture that that the industry is putting forward lately, and it's it's the kind of thing where these they might not be directly related, uh, but the impression that people get of the industry, you know, they they absolutely all tie into that. I mean, look, look at the, the the problems we have with like, you know, PewDiePie courting God, God. courting <laughs> Nazis and and you know Ninja dropping the N word and and Discord having all these problems with you know white supremacists and like like there's you know mass shooters dropping video game memes. Uh, as 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 they do it on you know with their their manifestos on video game forums that's it's all bad stuff all of it and and <laughs> when people look at this from the outside i i don't think it's going to be all that unlikely for them to just kind of wrap the whole thing up in a trash bag labeled "games industry" and toss it to the curb.
0: <laughs> Worryingly, I, th- I think I think you're probably right there. Uh, you know, the games industry definitely needs to be more proactive. I think in dealing with these problems, and you see it in the language that you know organisations like the ESA use or uh, game companies use, where it is quite vague. It is often things. There's it, often sort of a suggestion of things being done. And taking things very seriously, but there's never any sort of actionable plan put forward or any actually dissecting the issues and saying "These, this is the litany of problems that we actively have to deal with in the games industry now because currently things look very bad and outsiders looking in think it looks worse than it is. So what are we doing to actually abate those concerns and tackle those problems? Because it needs to be proactive and it needs to be transparent as well.
1: Yeah. Well, what they've been doing for, you know, a decade or more, maybe is just focusing on the positive, you know, mm. and, and there's something to be said for that approach, but mm. I mean, it's much better if you publicly focus on the positive and then maybe quietly take out the trash when no one's looking. But I, I don't think that they've really done that second part that well. And, and and, (laughs) like, that's not on the ESA to do, you know, they can, they can clean up their own organization, but you know, they, they, they don't have, they have influence, but not control over all the other publishers, all the member companies, you know, the, everyone just kind of needs to look at their own, their own part of this problem and and actually take responsibility for cleaning it up and not just kind of say like well other people do it so that makes it okay right well that's all we've got time for this week remember you can find all
0: the episodes of the podcast on all good podcasting apps and you can find your daily dose of industry news over at gamesindustry.biz